Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your host and the publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown, um, recording this a little bit later in the week than we normally do. I'm sorry about that. This is, I'm recording here on the 29th on Wednesday, and normally I would be joined here by my co-host, Brian Fisher of, of Athlon Sports, but because of our, our crazy schedules this week and because of the, the schedules here of our guests, we, we weren't able to be in here at the, at the same time. Brian could use a little bit of extra time sleeping anyway right now on account of, of, of the new baby. So we'll, we'll let the slide. That's it, It's fine. We'll catch up with him next week with another guest we're really excited about. Today, I'm really happy to bring in my old colleague, my, my buddy, Stephen Godfrey of Secret Base, of Split Zone Duo, formerly of Podcasting Play Nobody. Um, Godfrey was was creating something back back at SB Nation, the the place where I used to work too. That in many ways really is, I think, the the spiritual core of what I've tried to build with extra points and even even this particular podcast, right? Of of trying to really you know dive deep into the kind of niche stuff and and celebrating the the whole hog of college athletics. I think what Split Zone Duo, which is another excellent college football podcast, does for college football coaching. I think is somewhat similar to what we do on the administrative and academic level. I wanted to talk to Godfrey to get his, his take on football coaching searches. This is a weird season in so many other ways, um, coming off of a weird season last year in even more dramatic ways, but it's, it's not even October yet. We've already have three FBS head coaching openings and the word around the campfire is a couple more could be coming soon. So I wanted to bring in Godfrey to talk to us a little bit about those openings and then more importantly the why and how why uh do certain names come up in, in these searches what is it that coaches actually do and how they fit in with the greater ecosystem so uh let's go bring in my buddy godfrey here real quick so so godfrey let me let me ask you this um you are as plugged into the college f- football coach ecosystem or as much as, as almost anybody else here that I know. And, and last year was, was a bizarre year. And this year, it seems a little bit bizarre too, because it's not even October. And we have three FBS head coaching vacancies. They're all a little bit different, but it's it's kind of rare to have that many people canned this early. Is this a trend, a new normal? Is this just UConn as part of it? So who the hell knows? What, what, what should we read into that? Well, they are three very, very different vacancies. And so I think we should probably start the examination there where you have essentially a top 10 job in college football, top 10, you know, school in terms of potential in USC. Then you have a program that, you know, just as soon as well might be in the FCS in five or 10 years, UConn, that does not have a conference affiliation that is essentially floundering. So you kind of have the very, very top and the very, very bottom. And then you have a G5 in Georgia Southern that has, I would say kind of stated aspirations to, to, to keep company with the Boise's of the world. You know, they came in with app state app state's probably the better comp they're rivals with that app state. And they have not had the same success as that program since they both transitioned up at the same time. So um, the circumstances around those three firings are all different. I guess, technically there's not a firing at UConn, but um, I'm, I'm making, I'm making air quotes right now with my hands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not a fire. Um, so one thing I would look at that's in terms of a 2020 influence is that I, I think you could say that Southern and USC, and I think maybe some other jobs that might open in the next couple of weeks could, could, and would have probably been dealt with in a normal 2020 atmosphere. I do think that some people held the purse strings and I mean, we saw South Carolina just 
drop a ton of money to get rid of Will Muschamp and kick off the cycle last year. So I'm not saying it didn't, I mean, obviously it happened. We saw a lot of big moves in the middle of the pandemic, you know, big being defined in terms of like economics, Yeah. but a lot of other schools just did not have the, the capacity for that. And so I think you're going to see maybe some decisions that are held over from the previous year being executed this year. And then I think in, in terms of the earliness, um, this is a trend that we've seen emerging for a while, and I think it's misrepresented and misunderstood. It's misunderstood initially because what people think they see is sort of the classic crazy Southern booster influencing these firings and, oh, there's no patience. When in actuality, I, I think what's going on behind the scenes in the administrative world is that if, it be, if the contract of the, uh, of the uh, deposed coach if it's beneficial in terms of buyout, go ahead and make the move now because then you can operate your search in public. You can operate without without having to do everything in stealth. You can operate without having to, to be quite so clandestine. And you can also just as an athletic director and or a search firm, uh, just move about freely. Uh, the first person I remember talking to about this was Whit Babcock, the athletic director at Virginia Tech, because he oversaw the transition from Frank Beamer's retirement to Justin Fuente's hiring. And one of the things that, you know, he was very forthcoming, and this is an interview I had years ago, but it always kind of stuck in my head where Frank came to him and said, this is it for me. And then, you know, what Witt told me was that they very kind of very graciously, given the fact that, you know, Frank's a, you know, Frank's a, a breed that doesn't exist anymore. He was a program architect. So they, they wanted to let him definitely do it his way, but they asked, would you feel comfortable in just announcing it now? And the reason why is so that they could get about, you know, the search and, and do the best job publicly that they could to find the best available candidate. Because in that situation specifically, you don't want to be caught, quote unquote, going behind the back of a legendary coach. So I think, I, I honestly, like, I, I think it's, it's an evolving trend, but it, it, it doesn't really have to do with a lack of patience. I think it just has to do with logistics. So that all that makes sense. And I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush because you're absolutely right. These are three very different jobs. And I would imagine whatever opens up in two weeks is going to be different structurally from these other three here as well. But what does this do for the players that are already on that team and that coaching staff that's there? Like at UConn, we already heard that all the coaches are basically told, like, you're not coming back next year. So right. No, no one's recruiting. <laughs> no one's really right. trying to, to and, and, you know, if you're a UConn, you know, maybe you get lucky and the person you, you announce a coach before November, but even if you're not, if you're at USC or Georgia Southern, I imagine their next coach isn't on that staff now. And with signing day no. in December, that, that can be a pretty, uh, that's, that's kind of nuking a future class, even if you do this that early, right? I think in, I think the logic of some athletic directors is the earlier we start, the earlier we finish in the cycle where we're able to get someone in. And then also because of the transfer portal and because of the modern transfer rules, we'll take that hit. We'll take that hit. Hopefully by, by doing this now in public, we'll be able to move faster and then we'll be able to salvage this class, you know, via the other, you know, the, the different ways that by which you can actually get talent in somewhere, you know, compared to even five or 10 years ago. Um, you know, in the case of UConn, I think they're, they're, that's a systemic problem. There's such an outlier yeah. relative to anything that like anything I've even heard that is rumored to open. I'll give you an example. Like I don't it's not a secret that like Doug Martin's contract is going to expire this season at, at New Mexico State. I, I highly doubt he's going to be retained. 
So New Mexico State is going to open, and that right now is considered to be a much more advantageous, better job for coaching candidates than UConn. Let that sink in for a second. No, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, com- I that, completely believe that just it. just speaks so ill of UConn. Um, and, and, you know, really the reason is, is it, it, there is there's, there's direction and aspiration on New Mexico State's part. And also they have a good athletic director. They've done pretty well in basketball, and uh, I am by no means a basketball reporter, but um, there's there's a belief when you when you would line up a New Mexico State and a UConn that one of those schools is going to have a commitment and a direction, and the other one is still just really in the midst of a long term identity crisis when it comes to the football program. Honestly, this this that doesn't surprise me at all. I, I mean, I've talked to other people in this industry that, that the same thing. Like, listen, we know what New Mexico State is. We know what New Mexico State wants to be in five years. We know that the WAC might potentially be an FBS conference in five years. And we also, we know what the expectations are uh, yeah. for, for that for that gig, right? And then, I mean, yeah, and it's wild because like UConn's locker rooms are not uh, desolate. Their football stadium is not in a, is a, the ideal location, but it's not this dilapidated structure. There are facilities there that, that line yeah. up very well with other G5 leagues. And they're going to pay the next coach a million and a half dollars but yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, like that, that you're right. That is, that is them and UMass are such outliers. It's almost, it's almost difficult to talk about them with the rest of FBS because now, I will say this, yeah. like, like someone is going to take the UConn job. People are going to laugh at them, but the bottom line is this, that for an available candidate pool, it's, you know, you, you, you just said the magic word. It's, it's a million plus job and they'll pay it, even though they may be overseeing the essential mothballing of a program. Sure. They don't yeah. care if, it, if, if you get a three-year guaranteed contract for about three and a half million dollars, whatever it might be, plus incentives, like some coach is going to take that. It's not necessarily a dream job or an ideal scenario, but like they will find a head coach. I, I, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. There's <laughs> even if you have to go to division two to find somebody um, three and a half million dollars a year uh, to, to lose to by 45 points to temple. Is, is, is I am curious. Not we'll the worst that, thing in the world. I, I, I am curious if you know, and I can't remember exactly what they're. It won't be the same as the Edsel deal is structured. I'm curious what the yeah. floor for salary is there. But yeah, you. I mean, they'll, they'll go find a candidate for sure. I think. I think if you're not that anyone is, if you're handicapping a situation like UConn, you probably find someone with northeastern ties. Naturally, you can go to the league for that too, and find a position yeah. coach or something like that. So you, you did touch on something that I, I do think is important when it, it would be very easy uh, to look at three openings in the beginning, relatively early in the year, potentially five openings here by October 15th and, and characterize that as this, these are all out of control Auburn boosters, even if, you know, maybe only one of these schools ends up actually being in the South and, and being plugged into this, the process of both winding down one staff and bringing on another staff and that search and what that looks like. Uh, are there any other major misconceptions that you think fans or, or maybe even other reporters tend to have about how this stuff actually works? Um, hmm. hmm. Uh, you know, the biggest thing I see right now is that as soon as someone's fired, there's a shortlist out there. Those are media generated shortlists. They aren't real. They aren't real in terms of an athletic director or a search firm actually pulling that stuff together. Um, I, I think, look, the media has to generate conversation and create content. We know that. But um, those lists that you see in the first 24, or 72 hours, those are generated for the sake of conversation. 
or as a, a media detractor might say for the clicks, but there is no actual validity to that. Now, in some instances, historically, it is very obvious that coach X might be a candidate for job Y and they may very well end up being a candidate and the hire. That doesn't mean that the, the shooting from the hip, you know, the, those, those four or five names that emerge and on everyone's, you know, local newspaper report or blog or radio show, that's not the real list. A lot of that. And I think the phraseology is a, it's, it's, it's yeah. a bugaboo for me. Like I, I, I get frustrated when it's like names you could hear or names like, you know, there's all these weird turns of phrase to basically justify that. Like the reporter's just like, okay, these names make sense. So what I like to do is I really like to, to, to clarify does, you know, if, if I can report the information, Hey, this person would be interested, then I would say that, or I would say, um, these are people with familiarity with the program. That does not mean that they are actual candidates for the job. I think, I think that clarity is a big, 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 big thing because, you know, behind the scenes, agents are pushing names out there just to have an individual's sort of Q rating go up in the market. And there's a, you know, that's, it's a very disingenuous process. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to ask you about, right? Like to kind of, to pull back the curtain a little bit here for everybody. But if, if you use uh, the kind of person that regularly talks to agents as, as potential sources for other things and uh, you know, full disclosure, I do this, you know, agents are among the industry individuals that I talk to, to better understand what's happening with individual coaches or ADs or or conferences. But yeah, if they're going to give you information, it's not just out of the, 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 the kindness of their heart or the, the, the interest of what the public actually knows, right? Like some of those people are individuals that they would like to be able to have some additional leverage for. It's funny because I'm starting to, and I, you know, I don't know what the ethics is on this, but I'm starting to question less the ethical process and more just acknowledge what's what who is positioning whom i think that's maybe the better way to do it i don't know if i'm right i don't know if i'm wrong i don't particularly care i try and create as much trans i I mean i i I would rather create the transparency than anything else and and i think that's what fans and and readers want so you know what i'm saying is there are only three or four major agencies that rep the not every college candidate coaching candidate but most of them really like i think you'd be surprised if you go down the list and you know your listeners if you made a list of all active p5 coaches and all active g5 coaches and then found their agents you're 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 dealing with a very short list and so when a job comes open and i have a relationship with one of those agencies i will just flat out ask them like who 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 have you thought about pushing for that job and then sort of as long as you categorize it that way as long as you classify it like that i think it's fine because then if i go on my podcast or if i'm writing something like i mean the obvious example here is like who are the jimmy sexton clients of an sec job who's jimmy sexton going to position and who's in line and then you know who does athletes first have which is trace armstrong's uh, agency and then you know the agencies like harlan in chicago they rep people like pj fleck i mean like you if you can create transparency with your audience readership, because that's what's really happening, right? I don't get hung up on what should happen so much right now as I am what what is happening. You know, I'm actually I'm glad that you mentioned that because this is something I've been I've been thinking about a lot really over the last year, and and when you're in a position where. Um, 
I know I don't want to get you in trouble, but when you find yourself in a position where you have maybe more editorial independence uh, than you might have had uh, mm-hmm. at, at other stages in your career, um, you can you can you can go about trying to tell these stories in, in, a, in a different way. And I, I think one thing that I have been trying to do, maybe not as well as I, as I could have, but uh, for extra points is to is to let readers think about or help them think about why a particular bit of information is out there. Like, I, I mean, if I'm breaking a conference sure. alignment story and well, I'm, that means I'm talking to a president, I'm talking to an AD, I'm talking to a industry consultant. I'm talking to somebody at a Learfield type company that actually you know, helps broker some of these things. Um, and uh, if one of them is going to talk to me, it isn't just because they like the sound of my voice and they think it's funny when Penelope takes my Twitter account. There, there's also probably some interests that they're advancing. And sometimes, you know, it makes sense for those interests to be aligned and, and, and sometimes it, it doesn't. But if you think about that, that I think would, would maybe... I don't want to insinuate that anybody's necessarily unethical, but that I mean, the, the back scratching thing is how a lot of stories get told, period, especially about transactional stuff in this industry. I think explaining the why is almost as important as explaining the what these days. And it was something that we always focused on, you know, at, at Banner Society and then SB Nation College Football was let's there's a what here and that's that school x hired coach a but what was the process like and why and you know one of the things i i learned when i came in on that on the national level at least was that you have to you 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 have to differentiate yourself and then adding context to a story after the fact rather than being the ninth person to rush to twitter to say something is confirmed is probably going to be better for your career and it's definitely better, again, for your audience. And so what I mean by that is rather than chasing the breaking info, it, it, being able to, in an informed manner, go back and do what's called a TikTok, which is not the app. It's a phrase in journals and circles, which basically, it's a style of story that basically means this is how it all came together chronologically. Um, and so to be able to TikTok an event, um, I always found brought more appreciation and more engagement from readers. And so you know, that's a, it's, that's more of a why thing than a what thing, because then you can get into these things about, well, why was this information out there? If this coach was considered the favorite or the, you know, the candidate and they didn't get hired, why was that? Um, and I think that's one of the few things that digital media can actually do really, really well because there aren't page limits and, and traditional print deadlines, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There, there really is. There's a whole meta economy and, and like a whole and like information, you know, exchange happening independent of, of what necessarily gets published all the time. Um, I'll, I'll let you out of here on this because this kind of dovetails into another thing, another aspect of my readership and our listenership tends to be really interested in. It's this idea of what coaches actually know. And, and, and by that, like as, as an example, I've written a lot about FCS conference realignment um, over the last couple of months. And my source base is not nearly as coach heavy as, as yours might be. And so sometimes I will be talking to a coach and something like this might come up and it would be complete news to them. And I would be in this weird position where I knew where, there's, where they're, they were going to be in, in two years in the league and, and the coach didn't. And what I found is, and this, I, I can draw a through line between some of the, the crazier message board rumors about conference realignment. They often come from somebody knowing an assistant coach somewhere who heard uh-huh. a rumor of something telling to a coach, but, but they're not in the room. And so we, we, uh-huh. we, we know that for that kind of thing, that's a president decision. Like literally sometimes not even an athletic director decision, but at that level. Are there other things that you can think of that 
maybe a fan or somebody might expect, yeah, this is this, the, 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 nobody would do this without the coach knowing this is part of the, the, the football coach, the basketball coach's purview that that usually isn't. Oh man. Um, you know, not, nothing jumps out at me at the second, but I will say that I think people would just be, I mean, you, you, you can attest to this. So many decisions are made without the coach's input. Like, I, I think we we kind of turned it into a bit of a joke online about like, oh, oh the president has to sign off. The president, you know, uh, the president of the school, we kind of laugh at that. Well, that's that's an entirely real and valid power structure at most universities. Um, much like every other part of this damn sport that I talk about, Alabama has sort of skewed the entire line. <laughs> and yeah. yes, there are examples of outsized dominant power at multi-million dollar institutions. That does not make it the norm. Um, I, I think football coaches, man, when you get lower than the high G5, I don't think people realize how ineffective football coaches actually are in administrative ranks. I think you, I mean, I assume you would agree with me. No, that's, that's definitely true. Um, and, and same, same thing with basketball coaches. I mean, if you, if you get down into outside of D1, that, that person might be the athletic director too. But yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. think a, a common thing that I, I read about a lot is when schools are deciding what apparel contract to go with. And yeah, at Alabama, example, yeah. at Alabama, they're going to ask Saban, but at a lot of places, they're not even going to ask their opinion. Um, and, and that's how you end up with, new, I mean, with New Balance sometimes, right? Like, you know, I, it's funny, like the thing that I heard a lot over the last eight months was so many coaches complaining about Under Armour, not because of recruiting, or because of AAU or anything, it was just like because my athletes hate the shoes. Like the the apparel itself yes. is nice, but they're not good running shoes. They're they're not. But but you know if they're giving a higher guarantee or if they fulfill some other strategic partnership, no one's checking with the coach. I, I, mean, I would assume. Story, it's, yeah, please. I can I can think of something off the top of my head. Like yeah. when Will Healy was at uh, Austin P, and Austin P virtually had no football budget and was a perpetual doormat that like he would have to really stretch and go out into the community to change the caterer that the players got for their Friday night meal before games. And he would end up like, he personally went out and, and developed a relationship with a restaurant in the community and really had to effort that. And that was one of a, just a thousand little, little tiny things that the football coach had to do and had to fight uphill to do. Whereas like we joked about, you know, saving earlier, whereas that, that stuff is all run through the football department. I've made a call before to a police department in an SEC town to check with the PIO, which is public information officer on something. And then within 20 minutes, had a phone call from the SID of the university in that town asking if everything was all right. So again, there's a dramatic, there's a dramatic yeah. imbalance here of what is actually happening at the rank and file college athletics. And this is that big blanket that the NCAA operates under and the whole, you know, uh, going pro and something other than sports. Well, yes, because there's hundreds and hundreds of these schools at the lower ranks where the football coach is not God. He is just merely an employee. We just focus so often on those, you know, those 20 or 30 places where college football is a, is a multi-million dollar business. I, I would imagine if you went, if you went through your, your, your Twitter DMs or went through like your address book here on your phone, you're going to yeah. find a lot of coaches that wasn't that long ago when they were doing laundry 
or when they were driving buses or they were having to sure. do some of these, these other things. And that's not just a, a Lincoln Memorial or an Ohio Dominican kind of thing, right? There are position coaches in the Mac that are having to do stuff that you might be surprised that they end up having to do for. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I spent a lot of time. Huge money. In, I mean, I spend a lot of time in, you know, the, the Sun Belt and, and yeah. the Mac and that kind of stuff. And like, yeah, it's, it, again, I, I don't think, Code, I, I think fans would be shocked to understand that it's just not an authoritarian state at all. It's not even close. <laughs> no, yeah, the, that that's kind of the the headline for so many things we could both end up writing is Saban's the outlier, Al, Al, Alabama's the outlier, and it, it's not easy to end up being the the dictator, right? Like you know, if, if I, I think I, I think I compared that relationship before to like Yugoslavia under Tito. And like that, you know, that, that kind of works for a minute, but eventually there's going to be all these, like these, you know, fiefdoms underneath when, when some person steps down, it's not uh-huh. easy to build that. Even if you're at a place like Ohio state or Auburn. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you said it exactly right. Um, it's funny too, because sometimes when you develop one of those on the lower ranks, that's why you see coaches never leave because they are comfortable within those little insular sort of, you know, kingdoms. Sure. Um, sure. It doesn't happen often, but it happens. Being the king at Valdosta is not the worst thing in the world. No, I mean, no, if the system works for you and you have a comfortable life, I mean, you know, it's uh, people always measure that grass is greener theory with, you know, you don't know what you don't know when you step into new jobs and new problems. And that's something I hear a lot on the coaching circuit when I talk to coaches about, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's a head coaching opportunity that's open that they would have, you know, they would have a chance to get. They want to know about the problems they don't know about to figure out, hey, am I just asking for more headaches? And is that worth the, the, you know, the pay raise? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I get I think maybe we all kind of forget that this really is just a job. And those are the same considerations that any of us would have when, 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 when looking at a new job. Right. If you're going to a more prestigious publication or a place where you might get paid a little bit more, there's going to be it's not always the 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 fanciest LinkedIn title that that's going to be the best. Not every place. Not everybody wants to live in certain places. We shouldn't expect being an AD or a coach or anything else in the, this ecosystem to be any different. But exactly. It doesn't seem like a real job sometimes when you're watching on Saturdays. No, not at all. Not even close. <laughs> Well, Godfrey, I, I know you got to run here. Um, thanks so much for, for taking a little yeah. bit of time here with us. Um, you, is there any, where else can people find you besides Split Zone Duo right now? Because I, I know you're, you got you got Secret Base, you got Athlon stuff. Yeah. Where, where else are um, you? I, so yeah, we can call them over at uh, Athlon, which is basically sort of a roundup of the things that we talk about on Secret Base. Uh, we sort of push Secret, or sorry, sorry, Split Zone. See, I'm doing it now too. Um, so the coaching, coaching rumor season uh, roundup at Athlon which kind of encapsulates the previous week over at Split Zone Duo. We also have bonus coaching episodes at the Patreon for Split Zone Duo. And then I make videos of Vox Media for Secret Base. And then if I'm still awake, occasionally I write for the Washington Post. And yeah, I, is, I, we didn't have lot. enough time. Yeah, we didn't have enough time for this, but I, I wanted to, I'm glad that you reminded people that, that you have joined the noted liberal coastal media elite. Mm-hmm. That's me. Don't yep. lay insider. <laughs> um what, what, did, what did your dad say when he found out about that was he was he happy or did he razz you for it um yeah a little above a little column a little column B, definitely. <laughs> well godfrey hey listen that, that thanks so much I'll, I'll, I'll let you get out of here and we'll be sure to go plug the rest of the stuff that you're doing here on the show notes awesome thank you sir all right you can, of course, find Godfrey on the internet on Twitter at 38Godfrey as well. Uh, strongly recommend that you give Split Zone Duo a, uh, a listen, and not just because I've advertised on that show and I've been on that show a couple of times and Richard and Alex and, and Stephen are, are my friends, 
but I, I think it's a, it's a great companion, especially if you're more interested in college football for the stuff that we're working on here. Um, this been, it's been a big week, big week and a half or so for extra points. We've uh, been lucky and had a chance to break some conference realignment news. Uh, I think there's some more coming with the Ohio Valley Conference. It's, I don't think I've published it yet as I'm recording, but if you've missed all of those developments, uh, who's leaving and who's coming in, you might want to go check Extra Points. That's extrapointsmb.com. It's been uh, our most successful month since launch. Which is, I think, which is really cool. But all of that, all those developments have made it harder for me to write about some of the non-conference realignment kind of things. We have a bunch of stories about name, image, and likeness, about college athletics reform, about some Olympic sports, media broadcasting deals, and, and rights fees. All of that stuff you can find uh, very soon on extrapointsmb.com. Uh, next week, we have another uh, another fun guest that I, I think you will all enjoy that brings a, a very different perspective to college athletics. We should have Brian here as well. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch up with you next week.